going to start out today with a joke about dying. If you don't laugh about it, you cry about it. But this is a priest, so it's okay. An old priest died, and he arrives at the gates of heaven. Next to him, a young Uber driver who just died seconds ago from his reckless driving. He arrives barely after the priest arrives. So St. Peter calls on the priest first and says to the priest, For your lifelong career, working for the church, caring for lost souls, and your sacrificial living, we will give you a small studio apartment where you can stay for the rest of eternity. Congratulations. (laughs) Then St. Peter turns to the Uber driver, and he says to him, For your two years as Mr. Uber driver, we will give you a giant mansion by the lake. Oh, yeah, and a Ferrari and a heated garage. Well, the priest, who wasn't quite um, gone yet, he overheard all this and thought it was strange. And he thought about it some more. Unfair, he protests. Wait, why does that Uber driver deserve so much more than I? Hello? I'm the one who devoted his whole life to the church and to the Lord. St. Peter calmly explains You see, during your sermons, half the audience was sleeping, and the other half was just thinking about the barbecue. (laughs) But when the Uber driver was driving, everyone was praying. (laughs) Watch out for those Uber drivers. That's even their own car they drive. Yes, we may be in for a few surprises ourselves when we get to heaven. Pleasant surprises, I'm sure because we will be done with our own petty judgmentalism and our habit of comparing ourselves with others all the time. Gone. On that count, we may even surprise ourselves a bit, because the flesh, that is our sinful nature, will be left behind, glory be to God, and we will struggle to contend with all the sinful shenanigans no more. Um, Luther called that wrestling with the old man. Uh, That is our our struggle with sanctification, becoming more and more holy. Only nice thoughts will we have towards all others at that point when we enter eternity. And I think some of us, when we get to heaven, my own self, a prime example, we won't even recognize ourselves in the mirror if they indeed even have mirrors in heaven, since all our vanity will be also cleansed out of our newly issued bodies and closed out of those pearly gates for good. So uh, that opening joke then remains merely an earthbound joke. You won't even get it if it was to be heard at all in heaven. And we'll be casting no more envious or covetous glances at whatever eternal rewards our neighbor gets and we don't get. That'll be done with in the past. It really won't be an issue at all then. Finally, our restless hearts will have found their rest completely in Jesus Christ, who is our Sabbath rest, who is our perfect peace. I think heaven and the new earth will be more like Acts chapter 4. Remember that description? Quote, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that they had belonging to himself, they never claimed it as their own, but they had everything in common. Yes, that first generation of believers described there in the book of Acts was a little taste 
of heaven on earth, at least long enough to make a great first impression on first century Mediterranean societies. And the best thing about all that, those earlier, those early followers of the way, which is what Christianity was referred to back then, all those in Jerusalem showed all the succeeding generations down through the corridor of time, uh, they've shown all these Christians how it's done. Not perfectly, but increasingly. So by the transformative power of the Holy Spirit working through his appointed means of grace, uh, that is word and sacrament, we, and I mean this congregation, this church, I firmly can believe, we can ourselves also experience a little taste of heaven now, a foretaste of the feast to come, as we say in our liturgy. They shall know we are Christians by our love. Let's do that together, shall we? Uh, maybe starting today at our barbecue uh, and the plenty of um, repentant sinners that will be there. That's us. Abiding with us sinners, tax collectors and uh, gluttons, um, and being called a friend of sinners as well, and being labeled himself a glutton and a drunkard, is Jesus. He'll be there, the head of his church in heaven and on earth. In one of our recent readings, he said, where two or three are gathered there in my name, there I am in the midst of you. And that real presence that Jesus was talking about there has more to do with binding and loosing, as in sins like what happens inside the church in the words of forgiveness, the absolution, following our confession of our sins. And that's an inside church action indeed, but it nevertheless impacts what we take us with us outside the church into our day-to-day lives. Uh, namely, we take that heavenly joy. Remember, go in peace and with joy. Your sins have been forgiven. It's like hearing from God himself, Luther described it, as he speaks publicly the word of forgiveness through his called servants. The other thing about that opening joke that I told that I hope is not accurate is the lines. I hate lines. And we're going to have a big line at the barbecue today, so some lines are better than others and definitely worthwhile when it comes to the payoff. But long, hot, slow-moving lines, like at Disneyland's Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Uh, That's really what I associate with that other place, access by going the down elevator. The parables that we have been following lately in this section of Matthew's Gospel contain warnings for those with ears to hear. In Matthew 18, Jesus issued a stern warning about those evil eyes, the envious and covetous eyes. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. That was Matthew 18. In chapter 19, this following warning was a little more specific to those with riches and or those coveting such riches. Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's Matthew chapter 19. And that leads us up to this week's warning from today's so-called parable of the vineyard workers. The warning here is perhaps more in the way of brace yourself, you who think your pedigree 
guarantees your entrance into the kingdom of heaven. This is from our Matthew 20 reading, which ends with the words, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Who is Jesus talking about there in that um, word in our parable? Uh, Who is the first? Who is the last? Well, there's a a little clue laying in there uh, right in the middle of our text, specifically verse 11, which we will shortly get to. Uh, Those whom the vineyard owner hired first to work all day, they are the ones that actually went with an agreement with the vineyard owner to work one full day for one denarius. And by the time that we work our way down to verse 11, we already have others being hired by this landowner, others who didn't work as long as those first ones, especially the last recruited ones at the so-called 11th hour, which would be like hour 5 p.m. Those who were hired last then got paid first, and they were the first to receive a denarius, a full day's wage. But remember, they only worked that one hour. Now, initially, this got those hired first salivating because their greedy brains went wild with all kinds of mathematical speculation. They said amongst themselves, if one hour's work equals one whole denarius for those later workers, then for a full 12-hour day like we did, we should be getting 12 denarii for only one day's work. Oh boy, I can't wait. Well, these first workers who were contracted to work one day for one denarius, they did get a little surprise at pay time, but it was in the other direction, unfortunately, for them. When the foreman got to these first workers for their pay, they received their agreed-upon one denarius, nothing more and nothing less. Yes, they were upset. You could see that one coming, too. Would you have been upset under those same circumstances? Be honest. Would most people, well, there's a good chance, yes, that a lot of us would have been guilty of that same fuzzy math before getting paid. And by running our own numbers, we too would have no doubt artificially pumped up our expectations because, hey, what owner conducts payback time like that? The first, last, and the last first? You'd think To avoid any incident, the owner would have paid the first workers first and then waved them off goodbye so they would never find out, they'd never learn what that last crew got in terms of one whole denarius as well. But no, that's not how it went down at all, is it? Let's not forget that this whole hiring scenario too, as far as we know, was and remained just a parable. The hiring and the unique payout approach did not really happen, right? So then, as a story, a parable, what then is the big picture, uh, the point of the whole story that Jesus wants his listeners to get? Well, verse 11, as I referred to earlier, with its built-in clue, as I mentioned, helps break the code, if you will, as to who is being talked about and where. That is, who, at least in part, did Jesus direct this parable? Who did he especially want to hear it and understand it? Apart from his own disciples, Jesus targets, uh, in verse 11, especially the Jewish religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. So here's verse 11, and it kind of gives it away. 
And upon receiving their denarius, they grumbled, there it is, at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us? What's really the complaint here, stated more succinctly? I think we've heard it before. That's not fair, right? When verse 11 says these first workers grumbled, it's that same word translated murmured as well, referring to the whole exodus of Israel under Moses, who escaped Pharaoh's wrath only to wander and murmur some more in the desert wilderness for 40 years. And that was part of God's discipline for their muttering and complaining. Uh, That is not at all how faith talks, is it? Faith uh, was not how uh, they were showing to the world that they feared, loved, and trusted in God above all things. That's to put it in Luther's language of the catechism. So these first on the scene Israelites, on account of their grumbling, God forbade them to ever enter Canaan, the promised land. At that time, it was only Joshua and Caleb from among the original escapees from Egypt that God would allow in. Only Joshua and Caleb stepped up and were strong and courageous as the Lord commanded them. They did not allow fear to overtake them. They were not dismayed. They clung to the promise that the Lord their God was with them wherever they went, from Joshua 1.9. So as we seek a deeper understanding of this parable of the vineyard workers, we can begin to see how verse 11 and the loaded word grumbled is a key to our proper understanding. These first workers were supposed to be the nurturing and protective shepherds of Israel. As well, they were to lead Israel in fulfilling the Abrahamic promise to be a light to all nations, even to the Gentiles. But like their Old Testament counterparts, these New Testament Jewish religious leaders were really just looking out for their own interests, getting what they felt like they had coming to them. In this parable, it was the one denarius, one day's work, That wasn't enough for them, evidently. Their unchecked greed and obsession with power drove them on to want more than their neighbor. That's the real target. More is never enough. Anything that gets in the way of acquiring more was to them just not fair. Out of his love and care for the Jews first and then also to the Gentiles, to borrow St. Paul's phrasing, Jesus issues this it's a relatively gentle rebuke through today's parable. Here Jesus is being quite generous, really, to the undeserving leaders of the Jews. In fact, that quality is often suggested as a more accurate name for this parable. It should be the parable of the generous landowner or the generous master. Indeed, the compassion and generosity of this master, the landowner, is what really shines through here more than anything else. And you certainly don't want the grumblers stealing the spotlight from the gracious and merciful master. In the next go-around with the Jewish leaders, uh, this is in Matthew 21 coming up, it's not going to be so gentle and generous. Next week, we're in Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus fires at them straight and direct. Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of heaven before you. Yikes. That's strong medicine. 
and that will help start escalating things finally until Good Friday where they succeed in killing Jesus. But let's take one more look at that key verse 11 in our parable today. There's something even more disconcerting regarding the first workers that come out there. And at the same time, it's something that we can all rejoice in. That is, we who seek to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Here's that line from verse 11. These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us? The grumbling first workers, whom we now know to be representative of the Jewish religious leaders, they do not wish to be equals with any any others. They prefer to have it over and above the others in whatever way they can achieve, whether it's monetarily or politically. What they do not realize, and blessed are the eyes of faith that see this, and blessed are the ears uh, that one has to hear this. It's not the denarii that make, makes one equal with the master's eyes. First of all, it's all sin that does that. Sin has separated us from our holy God. And you could think of the temple where that big curtain stood between the presence, uh, the holy of holies and the sinners that weren't allowed to go in. So sin separated us from our holy God, and we're all guilty of that both Jew and Gentile. We're equal in that department. It's sin that first makes us all equally damnable before our holy God. I like the illustration of the Grand Canyon here, where some exceptionally disciplined long jumpers may leap out horizontally into the canyon, farther than you and I could ever clear. But even the best long jumper has zero chance of clearing the chasm, right? No, they end up 5,000 feet below with the rest of us sinners. Sin is indeed the great equalizer. But in Christ, man's sin is met with God's grace. Here St. Paul says it beautifully. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy upon them all. From Romans 11.32. Lord, have mercy. What a great place to be in. God did not spare his own son to save you and me from the sins that have separated us from our Heavenly Father. Jesus was not treated fairly at all in this world, was he? Uh, And he is the creator walking on everything that he owns. He wasn't given a fair trial. He was not meted out fair punishment. And it was for our sin that he went to the cross and died on that cross. None of that was fair, was it? No. It was all grace. It was all loving kindness. The master's generosity knows no bounds. Now that grace is the great equalizer for both Jew and Gentile, for whoever calls on his name, they can rest secure that they're saved. So may we all go out today and every day and treat others, especially Uber drivers, They need special grace. Let's treat them as unfairly as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, unfairly, according to his riches and grace. Amen.